0: This podcast is for the strange and unusual.
1: Welcome to Crackpot
0: Cocktail Hour. There is a very profound question that you see on the screen. If a tree falls in a forest and no one is around to hear it, does it make a sound? You all know this question. And this question is attracting the attention of philosophers for over 300 years. But this question, very question, would seem totally ridiculous to the plants neighboring this tree, which for many decades listened to messages and signals coming from this fallen tree. So today, I'm going to tell you something about plant communication and something about the ways plants learn from each other about their environment. TED Talk with Professor Ariel Novaplansky. So. So. (laughs) It's been a long July and now a long... (laughs) I don't know, I was trying to go for a Counting Crows thing. Oh, I don't know that song. No? Mr. Jones and me. <laughs> that's the
1: only one I know. I was
0: just going for the music video that had Courtney Cox in it.
1: Mm, well, that's always the right choice.
0: Always. It's the only reason to watch the Scream movies. <laughs> hey, you take that back about Nev Campbell. Okay, okay. <laughs> Sorry, Skeet Ulrich.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, we don't we don't need Skeet.
0: <laughs> skeet, Skeet, motherfucker. Ah, <laughs> oh, Skeet, Skeet. God damn. God damn.
1: Welcome to Crackpot Cocktail Hour. Apparently
0: we're already cracked.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I'm Lacey Ramsey.
0: I'm Alex Brennan. And
1: I want to lead us into what we're going to be talking about with a quote. The possibility that plants communicate has surfaced periodically as a crackpot idea. Ah, Hannah Devlin in a 2018 article in The Guardian titled Plants Talk to Each Other Through Their Roots. And I was like, well, that's
0: perfect for us. That is perfect for us. Um, on our very first episode, didn't we talk about a potential heavy metal fern out there? We'll be, will we learn the truth about the heavy metal fern?
1: We will learn some more interesting details about plants and sound, I think. You'll be all right. interested, at least.
0: As with all of our episodes, I have done zero research on this because I want Lacey to tell me what she's learned. <laughs> <laughs> all right.
1: So I wanted to let you know, first and foremost... That the trees are screaming. What? I read an article titled Plants Talk with Electric Sing- Signals Too, and they quote a book, Ro- Roald Dahl's book, The BFG. Oh, the big friendly giant. Yeah, yes, yes. Yeah, it's and it's about like the one giant who's not like the a mean dick. Giant, exactly. The one giant who's not a dick. The quote from the BFG is: "If I is twisting the stem of the flower till it breaks, then the plant is screaming. I can hear it screaming and screaming very clear." End quote.
0: So the BFG was onto something.
1: I think so. We're, we're still very much in this infancy of understanding tree communication. Uh, we don't know what trees are saying most of the time. We don't know how, how or why they're communicating, but we do know something is going on. We do know there are electric signals. We do know there are pheromones that are released. Mm-hmm. We do know that when a tree is cut, it sends electric signals like wounded human tissue does.
0: You know, I actually read that the, uh, the smell of grass that we usually like to smell after a lawn's been cut is actually, like, an emergency signal of, holy shit, someone's cutting our heads off. It is. It's actually,
1: uh, also sending out chemicals to attract other kinds of insects and animals that will defend the plants.
0: Oh. Is that why there are always squirrels on my lawn? Uh, possibly. (laughs) I just thought they really liked me or my dog. But it's, it's an
1: intentional, uh, well, intentionality is something that we'll get into, but it's definitely a signal that the plant is in need, has been harmed, and uh, would, would like help if the help is
0: available. It's something that, because of their evolution, the plant has developed to try to protect itself. Exactly. Uh, so we, that smell that we smell is like them crying for help
1: and saying, please stop injuring me. And we're like, mm, I love
0: it. Oh, yes. Well, let me cut you some more. So like I said, the trees are screaming. Oh, my God. We have a total BDSM relationship with plants, don't we?
1: We definitely do. We have
0: way more than we know, actually.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to lead us into our conversation continually, I guess, with three different beginnings <laughs> to this. But I wanted to introduce our cocktail, which this week is called Evergreen Scream.
0: That is an appropriate title. And now I should let our listeners know that Lacey probably made these like 15 minutes ago. And I was just like, I'm not going to drink it. I want to do it on mic. I want to have a genuine reaction. The whole time her husband's over there sipping it going, oh man, this is really good. <laughs> man, I really like this. This is really refreshing. And I didn't tell him to do that or anything.
1: He didn't even know what was in it. I just gave it to him and He's like, I love it. And it's got gin, which he hates usually. So I'm pretty proud.
0: I thought you just paid him off beforehand. (laughs) Because you're like, no, Alex, trust me. It's not poison.
1: (laughs) Uh, So the evergreen scream. I'll let you taste it. And then I'll tell you what's in it.
0: Oh, this is going to be gone soon.
1: (laughs) Well, I I admire your restraint for those 15 minutes just hearing about it.
0: Yes, it it did take a lot. Especially since um, we record these on Friday at the end of a 40-hour work week. And you're lucky I don't just come in here and just start drinking straight from the bottle. (laughs) Well, I had such a great week that half of that bottle of gin was already gone
1: when you got here, so... Sounds like a good week for Lacey. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Evergreen Scream consists of two parts gin, one part pine needle simple syrup, half a part to a part lemon juice, half a part elderflower liqueur, and tonic to top. In order to make this drink, you have to find and harvest some kind of pine needles. I learned the difference between pine trees and spruces and firs. Apparently with pine trees, all the needles grow out of a cluster on the branch. And with firs and spruces, they grow individually from the branch.
0: So what you're saying is this Christmas, I'm doing my tree shopping with you. That's right.
1: I will point out all the non-poisonous ones. Most of them aren't poisonous, but there are a few are. So you do have to kind of do research and make sure that you're not getting like a poisonous variety of plant. I definitely did a bunch of research and this is some kind of fur, at least. I know that.
0: Okay. And it's not
1: one of the poisonous ones that I found I on I was going to
0: say, I've already had some and you gave some to your husband. Wait, did you take out an insurance policy lately?
1: <laughs> you figured me out.
0: Damn it. And this is our last episode because Lacey's going to prison <laughs> and we're both gonna die from drinking this suicide pact.
1: I definitely like did did enough research to feel confident serving. <laughs> to make the simple syrup it's just dissolving a cup of sugar into a cup of water and then letting the needles steep in it i like cleaned off the branches and stripped them of the needles and let them uh, soak for a while and then it didn't taste piney enough so i actually microwaved it for a little bit to like really bring it out
0: okay because i do get the pine taste in it yeah actually uh before we tried this Lacey had me try some of her homemade simple syrup and it was really good and if it wouldn't give me diabetes I would have drunk that whole thing. I was really uh,
1: curious about what the taste would be because I had read that different varieties of trees have different taste to their needles. And I was like, what? This is a whole world for me that I haven't explored. And these ones are like relatively citrusy. You can definitely taste the pine, but there's like kind Mm of a citrus thing going on. So I figured the lemon would bring that out a little bit too.
0: Yeah, I'm very much a fan of citrus. So I'm going to be downing this. And this week, because I'm not telling the story, I can drink all I want.
1: That's true. Uh, so to make this drink, uh, you uh, pour the gin, the simple syrup, the lemon juice, and the liqueur into a cocktail shaker with ice and just get that all shaken up. Pour it o- pour it into a glass over ice and then top it with tonic. I think the tonic just kind of cuts the sweetness of uh, the liqueur and the simple syrup. So mm-hmm. it kind of depends on what your taste is with that. I garnish these with a little sprig of the fir and a twist of lemon.
0: Yeah, this is delicious. And actually, I completely uh, unrelated to the cocktail itself, I'm actually really loving the glass that you're drinking yours out of and i really hope you take a picture of that and put it online thank you uh, i actually use this for the photo shoot so oh, is, perfect uh, so it's already going to be online it's going to be the
1: one yeah i kind of spent this afternoon making sure that i got like a relatively decent looking picture and i was trying to sleep last night and i pictured the dead uh christmas tree that's been in our courtyard for like months and i was like oh man that'll make the perfect background for this <laughs>
0: So that's it's what recycling. you're recycling. You're just upcycling. That's yeah, what you're doing. Exactly. So that's what
1: you're seeing. That uh, that Christmas tree has new life, and also a cocktail and several bottles sitting in front of it on the Instagram post about this.
0: So depending on how funny this is, I'm, I may cut this. But did you give me the Neptune glass or the Uranus glass? Oh,
1: I definitely made you drink out of Uranus. <laughs>
0: Okay, it's staying in. The joke stays. <laughs> and
1: because it's a prettier one than the Neptune one. It's got like that storm spot on it.
0: And that's 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 very true. It's the blue spot. I gave the Lee Uranus. the Saturn I
1: gave Lee the Saturn glass. It's less pretty than the Jupiter glass, but Jupiter is like god of war, and I just don't want to like invite that energy into our weekend.
0: I thought Mars was god of war and Jupiter is the Roman version of Zeus. Well, I don't want to invite any daddy energy either, so <laughs> you right. We don't want daddy energy. You're yeah, absolutely if... right. But I was like mm, something's about this off saturn i feel safer with saturn for some reason according to my astrological sign my planet is uranus and you have no idea how pissed i am about that
1: (laughs) (laughs) oh it's a real asshole
0: (laughs) i would well because i'm an aquarius and so naturally you would think oh an aquarius has to be a water sign so you would think maybe neptune no 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 no. it's an air sign and we get uranus
1: (laughs) I'm a Libra and mine's Venus because we're just all about being flirtatious and want to get that dick.
0: I'm just, I'm surprised that uh, the planet Venus is the one they chose to name Venus because it's like the most hostile living environment in our solar system. Is that surprising
1: or is that a commentary on how men view love? I'm
0: just saying maybe that should have been Mars but that's just me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's fair. We didn't know.
0: That's true. We did not know. I mean, that's my opinion. It's this good to hear. This has been Alex's opinion on Roman mythology and the planets. It's
1: our mythology moment.
0: Mythology moment. I like that.
1: I'm sure we'll have more. Zodiac
0: Corner? Oh no. that's the Killer Corner?
1: Yeah, we don't want that. <laughs> we don't want Killer Corner. <laughs> oh my God. Okay, speaking of Killer Corner, I have to definitely share this with with you. I wanted to tell you earlier, but decided not to, because I thought now would be funnier. So we went out uh, with a small group of friends last night, uh, and there are people that I know relatively well, and then a couple people I don't know very well. Mm -hmm. And I, Lee and I are driving home, and I'm talking like, I really just loved this group of people, and like, really enjoyed each person for different reasons, and like, this one girl, like, she just seems so, just good, like, in her heart. She just seems like very pure, and like, not like innocent or like naive, but just like she's a heart of gold. Yes, like a deeply good person who would like expect the best out of people. And I was like honestly like I like this kind of like if I were a serial killer and I looked at our group like I would definitely murder her. Like that's how good <laughs> I think she, she is.
0: she's the serial serial killer's choice. And Lee goes Jesus. <laughs> like, there was that thing that uh uh was on Twitter that I sent you the other day that was if you've been described as a person who uh, would light up a room, congratulations, you've been murdered.
1: <laughs> I was like, that is so true. You
0: you would be murdered. <laughs> um, but I was like, oh, yeah, no, that is
1: not a normal thing for that. Most people would say like, she's so good. I'd definitely kill her. <laughs> like, if were a serial killer,
0: she'd be just my type. <laughs> yeah.
1: So um, figure out uh, who that is, group of friends oh. who's listening. All right.
0: Shall we jump in? Yes.
1: I'll uh, I'll give you a little background on research about plant communication. Uh, This kind of really started in the early 80s. Plant researcher David Rhodes researched the Sitka willow and found out that the willow is able to alter the nutritional quality of its leaves when it becomes infested with caterpillars and webworms and that altering stunts the growth of those creatures. Like wrap your mind eat around that. Eat this bitch. <laughs> yeah, very much. It's like you, you, the tree like senses that it's being eaten by these things and that's like uh, triggers it to release something to stunt the growth of those things.
0: Enjoy your genetic deformities. Way to go ahead and eat me.
1: Uh, When fed leaves from the damaged trees, caterpillars and the worms grew more slowly, which makes sense. But when fed leaves from neighboring undamaged trees, the bugs also grew more slowly. This research, along with research from Ian Baldwin and Jack Schultz at Dartmouth that indicated plant communication, were actually picked apart and totally dismissed by the science community.
0: But it sounds like one plant's being like, hey, Joe, this guy's a dick. Fuck up your leaves. Yeah, and Joe's like, oh, I'll get right on that. Yeah, poison them. Make their children suffer. This isn't just a one-generation thing. (laughs) We're going biblical with this bitch. So, uh, to me, that's a little heartbreaking. I read
1: that part of the problem, part of why it was received poorly, was because there had been a movie uh, very recently, like 1979, Mm -hmm. uh, called The Secret Life of Plants. And it used time-lapse photography. So people for the first time got to see, like, the movement of plants, like, furling and unfurling of leaves, things like Mm -hmm. that. Uh, But it was done so with a bent that made the plants seem conscious and that even said that, like, they're able to, like sense human emotions
0: is this the lie detector test guy it might be okay. I, I
1: don't know who made the mo- who made the video
0: okay well, do you question do you talk about the lie detector test no. guy okay so maybe it is a secret life of plants it maybe be something else but there was a guy who uh, would hook plants up to lie detectors. Mm. And then uh, subject them to, like, different forms of stimuli, like yelling at them, changing the environment. And he claimed that they would, like, move the needle based on that. Interesting. And that actually led to, like, a whole, like, pseudoscience of the consciousness of plants. That makes sense. And that's probably,
1: I would bet that was a contributing
0: factor depending on
1: the timing of that. Because, Mm -hmm. yeah, it kind of called into question a lot of this, like, plant research about things that seem more human than they are towards plans.
0: I can see uh, the science community being afraid of indulging a fringe community like that.
1: Uh, Yeah, so I I get that. But also, it was pretty interesting research that was just kind of outright dismissed, whereas Mm -hmm. the scientific process requires that we replicate experiments in order to determine how valid they are. it's the final
0: step of the scientific process, peer review and repetition.
1: But we just kind of were like, ah, fuck all that. Like, that doesn't seem real. Uh, so his research, uh, David Rhodes, the guy with the Sitka willows, was discredited by the theory that he probably just spread an insect disease between the plants through his own contact, and he was probably just not tracking like his movements well enough, it unintentionally contaminated them. It seems like a lot of assumptions. He left the field to run a bed and breakfast.
0: No. He basically
1: got chased out of science and people kind of quit researching that for a while.
0: I'm not okay with that. I didn't, one person even if they were like a little woo-woo you would think that someone would be like, well you know even though we kind of, we don't want to indulge a fringe community, we do have his data. It's not like he's going like to USA Today with this or a Scientific American and be like, publish my shiz now.
1: Yeah, I'm so i It's disappointed. Uh, I think it is disappointing and over time people kind of started picking it back up in the like late 90s and especially in the early 2000s that's when a lot more of the research started blossoming on this so it's good that it start, happened again but kind of sad that we lost a period of time where we could have been yeah. learning more I wanted to talk about there's an image of crown shyness in trees that
0: I think a lot of people have seen. Yes, where the uh, the tops of the branches, they won't touch each other. They kind of leave like a little bit of a gap. Exactly.
1: Yeah. Um, And so they're kind of, uh, yeah, it looks like the trees are trying not to touch. And this behavior, this crown shyness is driven not only by like the trees being able to sense that their leaves are touching other leaves, but there's also chemical signals going on both above ground and underground through the roots where the trees are able to send signals to communicate about oh, that's cool. how close the crowns are. So it's both the mechanical feedback and the chemical feedback.
0: That sounds like it's also uh, beneficial to both trees because if their branches are overlapping, then they probably won't be able to get the same nutrients from photosynthesis. Right. So you would, by sending out those chemicals, they both have the maximum way to get in those nutrients to survive. Yeah, but I think uh, you're getting at something which
1: is amazing, which is kind of the idea of not Every plant for itself, like that. It's yes, every plant for itself, but like within reason. Because if one plant tries to take over, then that plant's also gonna suffer from mm-hmm. having its leaves intermingled with the others.
0: Yeah. Uh, could so learn from plants.
1: I'll, we'll post that image. So that kind of guy would be interested in like the root communication. Mm-hmm. Like uh, both apparently leaves can sense that they're touching other leaves, which okay, fascinating. And mm-hmm. also there's something else going on where they're like beep 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 beep, beep like the leaves are touching. <laughs> it's Morse code. Oh my god. Who's <laughs> <laughs> <It's> Justin? <laughs> yeah, the plant language is actually Morse code, and we should all learn it. Oh. Now I know. <laughs> Uh, So I learned that uh, trees use a network of fungi that grow around and even inside their roots to communicate. The fungi give the plants nutrients and the trees give sugars back to the fungi. So it's like a symbiotic system between these tree roots and Mm. these fungus systems.
0: It's beneficial
1: to both. Uh, The fungal network that allows trees to communicate is known by scientists as mycorrhizal networks. M-Y-C-O-R-R-H-I-Z-A-L. So of course, yes. Uh, I think myco has to do with fungus. Um, So the hairs on the roots of the trees join with these microscopic fungal filaments, and they have this kind of feedback process where they're interchanging both nutrients and resources, but also able to kind of really relay chemical messages because of that.
0: Okay, that's actually that's fascinating. I didn't know that uh, it had anything to do with funguses. Um, I kind of wish I had like Jeff to drag here on the show because I've already tortured him enough with zombie argument, but. one of the things that we talked about during the zombie argument is that fungus that will take over specific uh, like ants or different types of uh, creatures and kind of dictate their movements just for the benefit of the fungus and I think and I could be wrong about this but usually the fungus will have the ant the spider whatever it's attached to go to a higher area so then when it releases its spores it can have the uh, largest blanket area instead of just releasing it on the ground but the fact that a fungus can affect a neural network or some form of community communication is fascinating that makes me think more about what funguses can do.
1: Yeah once I learned this I was like oh man that that fungal network is much probably much more vast than we even understand because I keep reading that like they found networks that span entire forests and I'm like that's amazing but if some of these filaments are microscopic how are it's going to take quite a bit of research to figure out where those filaments begin and end.
0: Yeah, there's actually there's an episode of the X Files. There's an episode of the X Files where uh, they come across this giant underground fungal system that's in a cave that makes people hallucinate their reality while it digests them. Mmm. Um, and obviously that's the X Files and that's very woo woo. But the possibility of uh, a fungal connection with thought process with uh, a neural pathway it also makes me think about things like uh, the video game the Del- last of us where it's actually a fungal infection or a disease that's actually caused the infection Mm. last of us is also a great video game and i highly recommend it if you haven't played it i tried to play it and it's like the only video game that our
1: playstation won't play It's, looking, it's a great game I mean, and it used to play it too because i know i've seen lee play it and i was like oh this seems great i definitely want it and it's like not you bitch <laughs> i can loan you our copy maybe it's your desk it could be it could be the desk but um yeah it, i think that like we don't know nearly enough about fungal networks if we're finding out this kind of shit
0: yeah and you said this research was really picked up again in the early 2000s that's yeah. only like 20 years of research
1: yeah and a lot of the um, articles that i'm citing uh citing from are from like between 2013 and 2018
0: Okay, so that's still fairly recent, which means that our narrow gaps on this are even more narrow than a lot of other sciences because it's something that we we're just now cracking into. It gets me really excited, the possibilities with this. Uh, so in addition
1: to the like root systems and the symbiotic relationship with the fungus, there's also uh, airborne gas and pheromones that trees and plants are able to release and communicate with. My favorite example that I learned about when I was researching this was in Smithsonian Magazine. Africa, uh, uh, all right, my favorite example. Acacia trees on the sub Saharan African savanna will release ethylene gas when a giraffe begins chewing on their leaves. So the giraffe chews on leaves, the tree releases ethylene gas when neighboring acacias sense that gas using their leaves to detect the scent. They pump tannins up from their roots into their leaves, which can sicken and even in some quantities kill herbivores, including giraffes.
0: Oh, wow. Giraffes
1: are wise to this. So they tend to feed in an upwind pattern.
0: So it doesn't spread. Oh,
1: that is so smart. So when the like that's all of the signals are going downwind and all the downwind acacias are getting the signals, but if they go upwind, then the trees aren't they don't know that the giraffes are coming.
0: Oh, that's so smart. <laughs> Isn't that like <laughs> and the giraffes are smarter than we thought they were? Nature, are you crazy? <laughs> <laughs> what the hell yeah
1: so yeah. The, like the drabs, and also the tree. the trees are like hey guys they're coming because it- the trees can't go anywhere <laughs> like all yeah. they have is like saying hey do something hey Joe Joe <laughs> and Joe's like I'm trying I I'm- got something else to tell <laughs> you pumping my tannins back up
0: how <laughs> those tannins settle yeah Let so I was also like oh a wine word interesting <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's the only context I know about tannins man these some damn fine leaves um <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I, I learned also that uh, what you did, what you had said earlier—the freshly cut grass smell—is a distress signal. It's, so it's both um, it's it's asking uh, animals to come and defend the grass, and it's also promoting the growth of new cells and inhibiting infection. Oh. Yeah. So it's releasing like self-healing chemicals as
0: well. That is actually really cool. Grass heal thyself. <laughs> So uh, I'll have to, uh, we'll, we'll put it on your Instagram, but I have this picture. It's a microscopic zoom in of what a grass cell looks like. And it looks like a bunch of little smiley faces. Oh, I love that. You'll just have to see it on Instagram, everybody. Yeah, definitely. I-, I promise
1: you're going to love it. I'm going to write that down, so I don't forget.
0: Smiley grass. Smiley grass. That's the best note I've ever seen anyone jot down. <laughs> smiley grass. It's like a new, like, weed strain. Are Man, i, know, like I want... some smiley grass? Now, is it smiley grass an indica or is it a teva? It's actually a hybrid, so you're good either way. Oh. Um, Oh, wow, cool. I just really want that smelly
1: grass. <laughs> now, smiley or smelly, because we have both. <laughs> I want some really potent smiley grass. Do you have smelly smelly grass? We actually do, yeah. It's a cross. <laughs> <laughs> All right, the, the last example that I had about the uh, airborne communication is that bean plants that are infested by aphids release VOCs which is Volatile Organic Compounds. Oh, of, of course. That's, that was gonna be my first guess. Which I think is like a super lazy like acronym. It sounds very much like a pseudo sci-fi show. Like, <laughs> Captain, the VOCs are out of control. Arm them now! <laughs> Yeah, like, okay, sure, VOC is like, it's just like, call call like volatile organic compounds, okay.
0: We have VOCs on the port side, Captain.
1: VOCs won't let me be. (laughs) (laughs) Who's down with VOC? Yeah, you know me. But, okay, VOCs. Uh, So these bean plants that have aphids on them release the VOCs, and the neighboring bean plants respond by releasing different VOCs that repel aphids and attract the kind of wasps that hunt aphids.
0: So that's another different form of symbiotic relationship is like, hey, bitch, this guy's trying to eat us. You want a snack?
1: Yeah, and so the wasp was like, oh yeah, I am hungry, and now I know where the aphids are, and so I'll come and eat the aphids, and then the plant's like, oh good, now I don't have these assholes on me. You
0: know, when you started that about the bean plants, my first thought was, so apparently all trees are just like, let's poison the people eating us, but this took it a step further.
1: Yeah, so- Because uh,
0: wasps are fucking assholes. So th- uh, we know that
1: they're releasing those compounds to attract the wasp and that they're communicating with each other in airborne ways, but scientists also isolated them so they couldn't communicate via airborne ways and found that they were still communicating via their root and um, mycorrhizal systems below.
0: Oh, so it's like we have a backup system. Yeah,
1: there's multiple ways that they're transmitting signals.
0: So when they were able to uh, keep the plants from communicating with each other, at least using the airborne process, but they were able to still use the root process, uh, were they able to in any way stop the other plant from releasing the VOC to bring in the wasps?
1: Oh, I didn't see. That's a cool thought, though.
0: Yeah, because t- all I'm thinking about is keep these fucking wasps out of my garden. Yeah, man, if I could just keep these wasps away from my hummingbird beans. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so, uh, Lacey, a few episodes ago, we cut it so nobody heard it. Oh. But several episodes ago, uh, we were mid conversation. I froze because there was a hummingbird outside her window and I was just so enchanted that I just couldn't speak anymore. It's the right response. So Lacey installed these hummingbird feeders. She has two on her balcony and she every time I've come over since we've been sitting on the balcony and just like watch it's like she's turned into a Disney princess. <laughs> She'll just sit out there while her hummingbirds come in and feed but unfortunately the sugar water because it's summertime has been attracting wasps. So today we try to sit on the balcony like we always do and these little fuckers are like hey I'm just gonna fly right by your ear. Just buzzing Um, around us, but you've also, you've been stung on the Face.
1: yeah not here but in texas when i was a kid i got stung on my eyelid and it swelled shut my whole eye puffed up and swelled shut and i was like well i'm staying away from these guys
0: oh that's the worst thing i've ever heard i've only been stung once in my life and it wasn't by a wasp it was by a bee and that hurt like a bitch but yeah. it was like on my lower back when i got stung i could not imagine a wasp sting which i've heard is horrifyingly painful on my eyeball yeah it was it was terrible. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and I was scared too. I was just also like very freaked out by like will my, will my eye ever open again?
0: Oh God. wasps. Yeah. yeah. They're just assholes. Yeah,
1: so I'm like, how do how do how do we get these wasps to go away? <laughs>
0: Can we release a certain type of VOC that just makes wasps kill themselves? Right. Yeah. I just want to see
1: them like falling to the ground, spiraling to the ground this outside is, my balcony.
0: This is the fringe science I want. <laughs> this is what I,
1: I will really agree to crowdfund, this kind of research. Like, it'll
0: just like increase the bee population and just kill off the fucking wasps. Because at least bees are like doing something, yes. right? Like they, they're useful. Yeah. <laughs> we, we can put up with a bee.
1: We can find You have bee. a purpose. And you're not going to stay... Like it's really you're probably not going to sting me. A
0: wasp will sting you for fun, that's what I think. Yeah, yeah, it's a blood sport to them.
1: (laughs) So along with the um, airborne chemical signals, trees also communicate by releasing hormones and by creating slow pulsing electric signals, which we're just beginning to start to research and understand.
0: (laughs) Isn't that nuts? (laughs) So trees are releasing bioelectrical signals. Yeah, Mm Hmm. okay, so that's a thing, and we know nothing about it. Uh, Edward Farmer at
1: the University of Lausanne in Switzerland, uh, he's been studying these electrical pulses. He's identified a voltage-based signaling system that appears strikingly similar to animal nervous systems, although he doesn't suggest that plants have neurons or brains. He's like, it's not neurons, but the the electrical
0: impulse, like, that does seem fam- familiar to us. Yeah. Well, I mean, jellyfish don't have brains, yet they're still able to interact in their environments. Right. So, I mean, it maybe life on a more basic level. So basic. So basic, these plants. Basic <laughs> life. You're such a
1: basic fern. Uh, I read also that electric signals have a number of other functions in plants so that um, it's not just communication between plants, but when Venus flytraps snap around the insect, that is because of electric signals.
0: Uh, oh, I thought it was because uh, they. I thought it was because they had little hairs on the inside of their mouth, and when like a fly or whatever would go by it, it would brush that, and that was what triggered the closing. But browsing. the hair is triggering an electrical impulse. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. That planet. makes sense. Yeah. yeah. So
1: it's both of those things for sure. Uh, also, uh, sundew plants, which uh, have tentacles that curl up to trap their prey, uh, prey. That's also uh, electrical impulses that are mediating that feedback process.
0: Well, that's just terrifying. (laughs) And now I'm thinking about that plant from the original Jumanji that was trying to eat them. Oh, yeah. Electrical impulses, man. (laughs) (laughs) We'll put that on our website as an example of electrical impulses. I do
1: have a video that I definitely want to link to that shows uh, if you wound a leaf, you get an electrical charge that spreads through the plant and warns the plant. So they researched this uh, using a plant uh, that they bred to light up around calcium. Uh, so when a caterpillar bites the plants, these receptors send cal- like the feedback to the plant to send calcium through the plant to uh, make it more resilient. And so you can see this online. I'll, I'll post a video about where you can see the caterpillar bunch on the leaf and then you see the uh like, bioluminescent calcium, like, surged through the whole rest of the plant.
0: So what you're telling me is that plants are kind of like the sort of Gryffindor. It just strengthens itself every time something tries to hurt it. <laughs> you're exactly right. <laughs> which is why trees can kill horcruxes. We're actually just getting to my thesis, which is that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I had a suspicion. I thought this
1: was taken a Harry Potter Road. It seemed a little familiar. Um, I think something also that is, uh, like... Even a little bit like deeper into this, like plants like, like sending calcium throughout them whenever they're bitten, is that uh, the reason that they sense that is because they have glutamate receptors, which is a neurotransmitter that is found in both plants and animals.
0: So uh, there's a name for a very uh, specific pattern that you see repeating in uh, nature. Now we know that there Fibonacci, are, not the Fibonacci curve. Um, though I could talk about that for days. Okay. So I love the golden ratio, but there's another pattern that. Uh, It's one of the reasons why veins, roots, rivers all kind of branch out in the same way. Oh. Um, I I was trying to find the specific name for it, but it's another one of those repeating patterns in nature. And uh, uh, like I said, like you've noticed that like uh, whenever a river breaks off or you like you spill some water on the ground, it'll kind of branch off in that natural way. One of the things um, I remember reading not that long ago is uh, scientists recently found out that a lot of quasars are actually facing each other. Oh, So it's kind of creating like this branch network and maybe that's just where the flow of energy is in the universe. But if you start looking at that pattern, it even repeats itself there but it's Mm. the same pattern that your brain gives neurons and things like that. That's cool. So I'm wondering how much of like, we're just now understanding a plant's place in this pattern, why it's replicating this in this way not necessarily that plants are talking about us behind our backs they're talking about taking over the world because humans have already destroyed the world but it's a part of a greater design yeah i I think that's um, a good way to put it and i think
1: i always appreciate your ability to see patterns and things you're very good at like oh this relates to this relates to this like i would not have thought of like rivers and like the ways that plants communicate information but i think you're right
0: you know why i think about that because i'm a synesthete (laughs) (laughs) probably because i just tile everything together
1: which you also just learned
0: relatively recently i still cannot believe i did not know that about myself until you're like it does this thing i'm like but i kind of in this way and let me take a test (laughs) (laughs) but not everyone does or feels or thinks that way nobody else sees like the year in kind of like an oval with like different things in different places related to different colors
1: I mean, someone else might, but they're probably a thin
0: May, isn't cayenne to you? Okay, fine, just me.
1: <laughs> I love that you uh, learned that. Oh, so yeah, we'll definitely post the video of the caterpillar chewing on the plant and then the plant responding by sending calcium throughout. Oh, that's so cool. <laughs> yeah. So in addition to uh, the root communication, the airborne chemicals, the electrical impulses, there is a possibility that... There is some audio
0: communication going on between plants. So they are saying, hey, Joe, look at this asshole. (laughs) They very well might be. Wait, the heavy metal fern, does it (laughs) exist?
1: We haven't found it yet, but we're not sure it doesn't exist. (gasps) Fascinating. Uh, so there's actually established research that when young corn plants are grown in water, their roots make clicking noises. Why? <laughs> They're just fucking clicking around down there. And when sounds in the same frequency range are played to those plants, they respond by bending their roots in the direction of where the sound is coming from. So are we saying that
0: corn is like related to whales and dolphins now? Is that what we're saying? <laughs> I don't think we're there yet. But it's <laughs> it just is a- like,
1: Broom! Ooh, going to be some maze. <laughs> so I keep reading that we're we're not sure whether plants can detect sound. We don't know. We're not sure.
0: And I'm like, but based on the response, it seems like. Oh, then again, going back to our human perception episode, we were talking about echolocation, and then we were also talking about things like the uh, the death box, or how sounds can actually have an effect on the physical and the biological. So maybe that clicking sound isn't so much of a hey joe what's up how's it how's it doing being corn maybe it's more of a i'm sending out this sound or this impulse so you know what direction i'm in it could definitely be something like that
1: uh it could also be like i, I thought the direction you're going with that is that uh it could be maybe not the sound they're responding to but mm-hmm. the movement in the water because exactly. of the sound
0: yeah it's more like trying to create a vibration or a sound or something like for it to detect that it's there right. and the sound is just second hand yeah
1: yeah i think that's definitely a possibility Plant noise, according to Monica Gagliano's research, is a crackling noise in the roots at a frequency of 220 hertz, which is inaudible to humans. So outside of our range yeah. of perception, for sure. Counter to this, there's another researcher named Carolton Kate, and she suggested that I think it's she, this person, has suggested that corn could be responding to changes in the water uh, based on the pressure, the, flux- the, the fluctuating like pressure, the vibrations. Not necessarily mm-hmm. sound, just like what you were saying. She was immediately like, ah, I'm not sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, she reminds us that many biological processes emit sounds, like heartbeats and digestion, and that in order to be considered communication, sounds have to be. Per- perceptible to an intended recipient Mm -hmm. so it could just be exactly that these are secondary like that the plant's doing its plant thing and like yeah it makes a sound but that's not a meaningful sound
0: yeah yeah that makes total sense speaking of
1: scents trees can use their leaves to detect scent (laughs) which is like a sense of smell oh my god so if i don't shower on a tree it's gonna know it might like you more for it depending on uh the pheromones i would think
0: it likes my musk Maybe it does.
1: <laughs> if you and that tree are compatible.
0: It's <laughs> my kind of tree.
1: But I, yeah, I just found a little bit about the like being able to detect scent, but I, that's definitely yeah. applicable.
0: I'm seeing um, Molly Shannon's character from Superstar in a completely different light right now. <laughs> <laughs> she Which, was really on to something there. Yeah, yeah. She was grounding herself with her own animal scent. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the research
1: really validates uh, Molly Shannon's character in Superstar. What was it? Uh, Mary Catherine Gallagher.
0: Yes, yes. Yeah. Apparently Molly Shen just knew something that we did not know. She was ahead of her time research-wise. Just <laughs> she really was. Who knew that she was actually a botanist? Who knew that she was a scientist?
1: Good thing she didn't quit science and run a bed and breakfast. She instead went into acting. Yeah, <laughs> she's teaching us about science through comedy, <laughs> which is what we all need.
0: Of course, that's why we all live till night. Um, science guy,
1: Bill, 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 Bill. Bill. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, So there have also been uh, efforts to understand the tactile and mechanical senses that plants seem to possess. Richard Carbon was uh, attempting to replicate some earlier research uh, on sagebrush and he clipped wild sagebrush trying to imitate some of the injuries by like animal chewing and animal breaking of the uh, plants and nearby wild tobacco plants actually ended up releasing defensive enzymes which were effective protectants because those plants had less damage at the end of the season from insects than other plants
0: interesting so it's not just we're protecting our own species of plant we're protecting all the species or other species in the area there is
1: some cross species communication there's some ability to detect signals from other species
0: humans don't even do that shit unless it's our (laughs) dog and we're like get down
1: (laughs) yeah that's fair (laughs) We do have, like, I think we don't, like, think enough about, like, how much communication is probably going on around us at all times. Very true. Um... Additionally, uh, elm and pine trees are able to detect caterpillar saliva, and when they detect it, they release pheromones that attract the parasitic wasp to come defend the trees. The wasps lay their eggs inside the caterpillars, and the wasps larvae eat the caterpillar. So the trees are like, fuck you to death, caterpillars.
0: And the wasps come <laughs> and they the like, we'll take elk. care of it,
1: we'll take care of it, we've got you, fam.
0: Jesus. Yeah. Wasps are just the asshole enforcers of nature, apparently. <laughs> right?
1: Yeah, so I guess they do have a purpose. <laughs>
0: It's like they're turf, like, not that tree, that's my tree.
1: (laughs) Uh, Trees can also respond differently to different injuries. A tree that detects deer saliva, meaning that the deer's been chewing on the tree, it will release bad-tasting chemicals so that the deer, like, it gets the deer to stop. (laughs) Oh. A tree that has a branch broken off by a human hand will release healing chemicals. So some trees are able to detect like what's causing their wounds or how to respond
0: at okay, least. Okay, yeah, because I mean obviously we're not using our teeth to gnaw on it. There's like a different sensation of a, just a twist, snap.
1: And I think probably uh, beyond that, there's different chemicals that are needed to be released to heal if something started a digestive process on you versus if something's just broken you off. Yeah. There's a very specific phenomenon uh, in drought conditions where plants can communicate to one another about and respond to drought condition cues, even if they're not experiencing the drought themselves. Uh, so plants prepare for drought by closing their stomata, which are these little intake ports on their leaves. And when a nearby plant is exposed to drought conditions, the plants around it start closing their stomata. And so we're so, all
0: gonna conserve water together.
1: Yeah, so we're, we close our stomata, because one, we, well, we also know like it's gonna waste resources to keep mm-hmm. these open, so like, might as well close them but they also pass on the message about the drought. Even though they're not experiencing the drought, they know it's coming, they're closing their stomata. And then they also release chemicals either into the air through their roots that are indicative that this is happening. So more plants nearby. It kind of magnifies and passes it on.
0: Oh, that's so smart for a tree.
1: (laughs) Makes sense. Uh, I have a great quote from Kat McGowan here. Uh, Quote, the emerging picture is that plant eating bugs and insects that feed on them live in a world that we can barely imagine, perfumed by clouds of chemicals rich in information, Ants, microbes, moths, even hummingbirds and tortoises all detect and react to these blasts.
0: Wow. I wonder uh, how much animals can sense or those insects and those bugs can actually sense those different clouds that are being seen. Like how much of that can they see? How do they smell it? How do they intake it? Is there a sound being released that we have no knowledge of?
1: Right. What is it that they're picking up on? Like, do they have other organs that we don't even know how to understand that are picking up things we can't yet measure?
0: Yeah, we're just like, this is what their eyeball looks like. <laughs> <laughs> That's the only thing that was different. And their their butts are fuzzy, and they have a lot of legs.
1: That like, what is actually going on between yeah, yeah. them? Uh, so I think like the question that keeps coming up is like intentionality Mm -hmm. how much of this is plants trying to send messages to one another and how much of this is kind of a secondary uh result of plants kind of communicating with themselves about what needs to happen and releasing certain chemicals to treat themselves Well,
0: like you and i aren't telling our hearts to beat they're just doing it
1: exactly and they're making noise which doesn't really mean anything other than that we're alive um So there's the idea that if plants are like intentionally expending resources to communicate, there has to be some kind of evolutionary benefit Mm -hmm. because otherwise they are potentially letting their competitors know that there are threats, which would be a bad thing. Like they'd be informing their competitors, which would be a bad thing for them. I I kept reading that and I kept being like, what a very individualist perspective. What a very like,
0: that's a very human-animal-kingdom perspective. And, like,
1: Western, too. Like, it's me for myself, and if I, like, give my competitor information, then, like, he will be able to use that. And I'm like, I don't think the process is the same for plants.
0: Yeah, I think plants are communist. <laughs> I think uh, what's probably going on with the plants is uh, because we're talking about them spe- or communicating across different species of plants, uh, communicating with wildlife around them, be it mammal life, be it insect life, be it whatever. It sounds like it's more or less uh, a continuous balance of the ecosystem as a whole yeah. instead of individualistic at, for like just this one fir tree is going to survive and fuck the douglas is nearby.
1: Yeah, I think that there's more of a, I don't want to call it an understanding, but there's a real place in the system of things and, uh, I have to say understanding that there's limited resources available just like with the crown shyness like we mm-hmm. can't all have all of the sun whereas I think a lot of humans especially in capitalism <laughs> are like no but I want all of the sun and I've earned it damn it yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah there's very much a human thing yeah
1: so um, I, I think that's interesting that we talk about like competitors uh, so or that there's so much talk in the research about competitors yeah I think I think the interdependence is a, a really interesting yeah thing uh, yeah there, so a lot. So some scientists dismiss this I've got a quote from Stephen Woodward who's a botanist at University of Aberdeen Scotland uh, who says they're emitting distress chemicals other trees are picking it up there's no intention to warn and I'm like but why have distress chemicals to release or why have those be detectable mm-hmm. like it seems like if it's really in your best interest for no other plants to know what's going on with you then like you would have evolved to have secret distress chemicals that aren't detectable by the plants around you
0: yeah and i think uh going back to what we were talking about before um because again we are looking through through the lens of humanity through an animalistic lens where animals do have to compete for resources plant life is a completely different evolved form of life than an animal is it may or may not be sentient but it does seem like it's continuing more of the mass whole
1: yeah i think that it's hard for i think it's hard for me to put into words like this because i keep wanting to ascribe it like some kind of conscious process like an understanding yeah, yeah. or an awareness and it's like not so much like not like a conscious awareness but like a the physical awareness of like just the limits of
0: resources yeah, yeah. It has evolved in a way where it's uh, beneficial to all rather than evolving in a way where it's just the benefic- benefit of one. Yes. So we're going to have to take a drink. Okay. Let's guess what Alex is about to talk about. Uh, Mass Effect? Mass Effect! <laughs> <laughs> all right, here we are. Mass Effect moment. So, so far, I've cut all of my Mass Effect moments out of this podcast, but in case this is the first one that makes it in, my favorite video game series of all time is Mass Effect. What? I know. I've
1: never heard about that. In fact,
0: I talk about it so frequently that we've gotten to the point that every time I mention Mass Effect, be it on mic or just us fucking around, we take a drink. Yep. So I apologize for this Mass Effect moment, but I actually think I have an analogy that helps a little bit with how I think about plants. Okay. So in Mass Effect, there's this uh, AI species known as the Geth. And I can go into the whole background of the Geth, but they try to explain how their hive consciousness works. And it's not necessarily like a hive consciousness like you would see like in bees or you would see in something like a uh, the Borg on Star Trek. Because I think a lot of when a lot of people think about like a hive consciousness, they think of all minds linked together, thinking one process together. Yeah. But the way they describe the geth and mass effect is each geth is aware of what's going on around it. And if it's by itself, that's all the information it's gaining. So when it's by itself, and it's not close enough to be connected to the other ones, it's reacting to its environment. But if you have other geth around it and that one geth is shot or injured or something happens, it's able to send out signals to the other ones around it to know there's danger nearby and they react to that and they start to actually evolve and learn from each other based on what's happening and the more that are together the more protected they are. Yeah. And so the way I'm actually equating this to plant life is I'm thinking about a forest. You have a lot of trees together one gets damaged, maybe there's a wildfire coming, maybe something's happening and it's able to release signals that is allowed to let wildlife know in the area there is danger coming gtfo yeah but then take a house plant that's in the corner it doesn't necessarily know what's going on outside because maybe you live in the middle of the desert and you just happen to have one house plant that doesn't have anything to let it know what's going on it will survive or die on its own Yeah. So that's the way that I'm kind of tying it together in my mind, if that makes any sense. Well, it's seeing the communicative process as a strength and not as
1: a liability.
0: Yes. And so uh, when it comes to the Gath, I mean, they do get sentient over time, but actually they're originally not called a true AI because they're not fully evolved. And their survival and the way they're communicating is entirely just for the benefit of the ecosystem as a whole, of all as a whole. And that's kind of how I think I can equate plant potential communication, or at least how plant life has evolved from what you're showing me. Which I think um, also how very human and how very Western for us to
1: define evolution as the the point at which we become divorced from putting the whole system first. Yeah, like sentient. It's like, oh, when I finally have a sense of a me, that is the peak of what an organism can be, and it's to be able to be selfish. Well, but that it, certainly is something.
0: It's very true. I mean, what uh, do we always hear about humanity? We are the top of the food chain. We are the apex of evolution. We're this. We're that. Just um, placing us
1: ourselves at the center of the universe in a different way.
0: Yeah, it's like, are you a human or? But if uh, someone we see as less than human, we call them an. Alien. Yeah, because that is beneath us. There's humanity and then there's everything else beneath us because yeah. that's just how we see ourselves
1: And i'm like, I don't know I feel like the plants that are trying to like make sure this whole planet doesn't totally die Like maybe they're on to something
0: I mean, that's one of the fascinating things uh, about climate change is the climate is if you're a climate change denier Unsubscribe now, but we our planet is getting warmer and instead of the planet just being like guess We're just going to be hot all the time. Our climate has actually given us more severe winters, because it's like the planet's trying to heal itself or cope with it as much as possible to be like, we're still going to try to sustain what is a livable atmosphere as long as we can even though you're still increasing your fucking greenhouse gases and destroying all the forests just for your goddamn food source oh my god why haven't we fixed this yet but it's the planet as a whole just naturally not necessarily with a sentience i'm not saying gaia is actually a real thing saying okay bitches get off me it's time to fix this but it's just a natural biological reaction to sustain itself and maybe long term uh, the peak of evolution isn't just just survival of the fittest. It's not just survival of me and my kind. It's survival of all for the benefit of all. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And it sadly,
1: and it's going to irritate Lee, makes me want to watch The Happening again. <laughs> <laughs> I hate the happening. <laughs> yeah, I, it's a hateful movie. But I think at the heart of it is an interesting idea, which is like that the plants are like, yeah. fuck off.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I I get that. I understand it. It was it was very, very poorly done. It was very heavy handed. <laughs> yeah. The fact that they kept like zooming in on the plants so much, like they kept like lingering on the trees early on. I was just like, you're not even trying to hide it. Yeah. You're making this a little too obvious. Or when he's trying to like apologize to like the plant at the guy's house. Yeah,
1: that's fair you
0: stop doing this you stop feeling us
1: <laughs> yeah no I, I i feel you i just i also it gives me kind of hope the idea that like i don't know maybe one day we'll be gone there will still be like life here
0: <laughs> one day the plants will actually just be like okay you know what, humanity fuck you yeah
1: or like we'll be gone because of we've you know killed ourselves and the plants are still able to come back and survive like yeah i don't think the end of human life is like the end of life on earth But that's probably another podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So speaking of uh, me and mine, there is some evidence that plants uh, favor related plants. Okay. So there is a little bit of evidence of kin relationships. Related trees recognize the root tips of their kin and they send more carbon to related plants than they do to non related plants. So there is a, an element of, I think, probably like encoded genetic survivalism in there.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, some of the plants, including sea rocket, restrict their root growth when they're among kin. So they're like, ah, oh, you've got your room. This is, they like draw the masking tape line. They're like, this is <laughs> my side of the room. <laughs>
0: that's your side of the forest this is my side of the forest <laughs>
1: exactly and so like but it's it's you know kind of seemingly respectful if we're going to ascribe yeah. human motivations to plants which I guess I guess I am. Uh, I also have a great quote that says trees of the same species are communal and will often form alliances with trees of other species and I did read that certain trees are on uh, different networks I, I did not get the specifics but there are a couple of like different species that are on one network and then there are other trees that are on another network and so there's something going on I I think genetically with yeah. the preferences
0: well i also wonder how much of that is uh different plants probably communicate in different ways different species uh i mean we see it with animals different animals evolve in different ways so i wonder how much of it is this tree prefers to be around this type of tree or how much of it is this tree in its evolution naturally grew up around like this type of plant but now that we've done like i don't know landscaping we pointed next to these flowers that it never knew, and its set, it's system is set up differently. Yeah, I think that's like very real. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, I there's a researcher, Suzanne Simard, who I really like, and she uh, really goes against this idea that it d- that it makes no evolutionary sense for plants to help each other. She's like, oh, I think it does make some evolutionary sense, and she says, um, "Well, quote," she says, "Actually, it does. It doesn't make evolutionary sense for trees to behave like resource grabbing individualists." <laughs> They live longest and reproduce most often in a healthy, stable forest. That's why they've evolved to help their neighbor. I like her. Suzanne Simard, uh and Monica Gagliano. Like I, I could fall down like a YouTube video rabbit holes of them all day. They're just like fascinating women, like yeah. amazing research. Uh, I, I think it makes sense also because the trees even depend on their mycorrhizal networks. Like mm-hmm. it's not even just other trees, it's other types of organisms that they're depending on. So like, why wouldn't they rely on other trees and plants?
0: Yeah, and I mean, I know that we've been shitting all over humans a lot because we humans are pretty awful. But I mean, we, we cannot, say that humans have no symbiosis with other species. I mean, there's a reason why we domesticated the wolf into the dog. I mean, there's a reason why we have house cats. There's a reason why horses are a big part of our culture. Uh, Why livestock is a thing. Yeah. So we have evolved to a degree to communicate and live alongside other Animals, um, so it, it does. It, it's kind of blind to say, "Well, I don't understand why a tree wouldn't just look out for itself because people don't look out for themselves and they want to be the peak and they won't look out for other species." And I'm like, "I'm sorry, I feed my dogs every day and I pick up their shit out of the front yard and I give them belly rubs and I don't have to do that." Right.
1: Oh, and and even taking that a step further, uh, there are even people who don't care at all about other people but love their dogs and yeah. will go like to the moon and back for their dogs. And so the idea that we're not each embedded in a diverse context of different species, like, yeah. is just not true. Like, we all are kind of very interdependent, Mo- way more than we realize even. Yeah.
0: Heath actually punched out a guy for uh, kicking Mal once. <laughs> I fully believe that when we uh, lived in downtown Seattle. Who would kick Mal? A fucking asshole hobo. That's Mm. who. So uh, Heath went to take Malcolm out to go to the bathroom one night. We had this alley alongside the building that sometimes we could take him to go pee at. And there's a homeless guy sleeping in the alley. And Malcolm started barking at him because he was a puppy. And like the guy came up from behind the trash can. And so he started barking at the guy. And the guy kicked Mal. And Heath punched him in the face. Yikes. Yeah. Don't kick dogs. Yeah. (laughs) If you hurt my dog, I won't punch you in the face. I'll step. I'll cut a bitch. I
1: believe that. You have a sword on you half the time.
0: That's true. As someone who almost said, I almost brought a broadsword with me. <laughs> it's just a glimpse into who I am as a person.
1: Uh, there's also a theory, with, along with the related plants, uh, that mother trees provide uh, their seedlings that, with, that have more shade with more resources to grow. So they're like, oh, you're not going to get enough sun. I'm going to give you extra nutrients through my roots. That
0: makes sense. Give everyone a chance. Yeah,
1: and also there's uh, evidence for the idea that ill or dying trees dump their resources into the network. So they're like, I'm going out. I'm going to be useful to the whole system in some way.
0: Oh, I like, again, trees are communists.
1: There's some, I think there's some real beauty in it. Uh, speaking to that idea, uh, Peter uh, Voloben, uh, v- W-O-H-L-L-E-B-E-N. I looked up how to pronounce his name. <laughs> Volaben <laughs> Describes having come across a beech tree stump in the forest only to discover that below the surface, it was green with chlorophyll. The explanation, he stated, is that the tree network was keeping it alive. Quote, When beaches do this, they remind me of elephants, he says. They're reluctant to abandon their dead, especially when it's a big, old, revered matriarch.
0: Oh, that is beautiful!
1: <laughs> I know. It kind of makes me want to cry, this, like, idea of these seedlings, like, still keeping mom around.
0: I honestly did not think I would get a little bit teary-eyed thinking about trees. But you've done it. You're welcome.
1: <laughs> Same. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, kind of the main the main thing I want to just nail on down into as we're wrapping up is I I think it's awesome, you know, that the scientific community like eventually got on board with researching this stuff. Mm-hmm. It's sad that you know David Rhodes' paper got dismissed and he left science. And like I wish that we were further along and everything, but. I think what's really exciting is what was dismissible in the eighties. What was like, okay, that's crazy sauce. You aren't allowed in science anymore is now like, well, obviously we know plants are communicating Mm -hmm. and like now that's just something that we can research every aspect of. So for me, the real question is kind of what things do we take for granted now as being a hundred percent true or a hundred percent not true that in 30 years we might be like, Oh, well obviously we've flipped our position as a society on that thing. Yeah. Uh, Um, And I know, you know, that easily gets into conspiracy theories and a lot of people are like, well, the flat earth thing. And I'm like, I'm not talking about flat earth, but I mean, like scientific things that can be proven and disproven via scientific processes.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, I think that's super exciting. We've already proven that the earth isn't flat.
0: (laughs) Okay, so in the 80s, we were like, this guy doing legitimate plant research, we're just going to ignore him and bully him out of the field. Yet this woman who believed that there were teachers who were witches who were flying around their classroom with Chuck Norris in underground tunnels were really doing animal sacrifices to the devil in front of preschoolers. That's what you're telling me. I that's mean the world we live in. That's that's the culmination of the plant communication
1: and satanic panic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you don't know what we're talking about, listen to our satanic panic episodes.
0: I honestly think this is actually the perfect follow up to satanic panic because we definitely needed a palate cleanser. I think we needed something that. happier.
1: So, uh, I have a final quote that comes from uh, Richard Grant in Smithsonian Magazine in his 2018 article Do Trees Talk to Each Other? Quote, "Alarm and distress appear to be the main topics of tree conversation." Although Peter Voloben wonders if that's all they talk about. Peter says, What do trees say when there is no danger and they feel content? This I would love to know. End quote.
0: That is beautiful! <laughs> yeah. I don't think I've ever made those noises before. Yeah,
1: I've really touched a tender spot today. Yeah,
0: so um, one of the things that I've uh, recently gotten back into is a research of Wicca. Not that I am practicing right now, um, and I should probably tell people a little bit my history with Wicca. Uh, When I was in high school, one of my aunts actually talked to me a little bit more about actually what Wicca truly is, and she gave me a book that actually ended up changing my life, um, and it really talked about how, uh, because I described to Christianity, Uh, how Christianity uh, took a lot of its uh, material from other religions and how many like pagan rituals were adopted into Christianity. Not that it was not an anti-Christian book. It was just kind of like, here's a broader lens of world religion as a whole. But one of the things that I've always enjoyed about Wicca specifically, which they do also talk about in this book, is it's all about giving back to nature. You don't just take from nature. I mean, obviously there are a lot of natural things that are used in uh, incantations and spells and rituals and whatnot, but all of it is at its base about connecting with nature and the positive interaction with nature. For example, if you were to uh, subscribe to Wicca and you were to become a practitioner and you wanted to get a wand, you can either have one ordered for you because the internet exists now, or you can get one in nature from a tree you, pres- you prefer or uh, a branch that you happen to be quite fond of. But the biggest thing to remember is that if you go out and you collect it on your, no- on your own is to thank the tree for giving it to you. Oh my God. And granted, it's a very symbolic gesture, but it's more or less little symbolic gestures that help strengthen your connection with nature because there is something to, you know, saying thank you to nature, even though nature's not gonna be like, you're welcome, motherfucker, enjoy your wand. There is something about having that respect for the planet around you. So I said,
1: oh my God, like that, because when I went out and I found these branches, I was aware of what I was doing, which is taking like living material from a living plant. And as I broke each of them off, I silently thanked the tree. And I didn't know that was like a thing. It just felt like the right thing to do. So
0: we're going to practice witchcraft together, right? Sounds like that's where this we're has always a, been We're headed. starting a coven, right? <laughs> I think I think so.
1: But uh, wow, that's uh, kind of cool to know that's like a thing. That's I have some
0: books to loan you. <laughs> yeah, for sure.
1: Um, I guess I naturally uh, am leaning in that
0: direction if my interaction with the trees is any indication. Wait, am I changing religions now? Because last time I stopped being Catholic and joined the Church of Satan. That's but true. Now I'm a Wiccan.
1: Oh man, all this paperwork of changing religions is going to be bad for the environment. Oh my god. (laughs) You're going
0: to have to really think about it. Do I have to like change my tax forms now or something? I mean...
1: I think you just check other like you probably always have.
0: (laughs) (laughs) What's your political party? (laughs) Oh, and actually one thing, uh, speaking of Wicca, really quick. um, Really quick-a? I just really want to get it out there. So uh, last week we were talking about the the Church of Satan and one thing that I did want to actually say on that uh, part uh which a lot of people confuse with uh satanism versus true wicca slash witchcraft when i tell you about uh the church of satan or satanism what is the first symbol you think of of the pentagram. Exactly.
1: Which is a Wiccan symbol.
0: So the upright pentagram that looks like a star, that is a Wiccan symbol. Ah. It actually, if you look at it, it's supposed to represent all the elements, each point being a different element. Additionally, it makes the shape of a person. And it is a symbol of positivity. It's often used in protection spells, things like that. Um, when it's inverted, is when it's a cursed symbol. And that's when it forms the goat head. Oh, wow. So the inverted pentagram is more of the satanic negative energy symbol not to say again because we talked about satanists a bunch last time that's our satanic second yeah <laughs> that is that's the negative symbol okay but if you see an upright pentagram that's actually a very positive symbol that's good to know so now you know that's it that's all i got yeah i can tell you more about witchcraft but let's <laughs> we'll save it for, we'll a, say that the for a halloween special <laughs>
1: Well, uh, as MGMT says, control yourself, take only what you need from it. A family of trees wanted to be haunted.
0: And as the Lorax says, I speak
1: for the trees. (laughs) Sometimes, turns out, the trees are speaking back. Thank you for listening. Oh, should we tell them where to find us? You can find us on Facebook. Uh, We're Crackpot Cocktail Hour on Facebook, on Instagram. We're on Pinterest, and you can find us on Twitter at Crockpot Hour.
0: And we also obviously have our website, CrackpotCocktailHour.com. But now we are almost literally anywhere you can get podcasts.
1: That's right. If you throw a stone and you hit a podcast (laughs) network, then you might find us. And if you don't, you can request us from the network or let us know.
0: So uh, subscribe now. Uh, The more subscriptions we get, the higher ratings we get, the more ratings we get, the more content we can give to you that actually helps keep us on the charts and helps helps us get content to you.
1: So if you like what you hear, leave us a five-star review and let everyone know what you liked about it.
0: And tell Alex to stop talking about witchcraft. (laughs) Or tell her
1: to talk more about witchcraft.
0: (laughs) Halloween special.
1: (laughs) Okay, now cheers. 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 (laughs)